Hi guys, welcome back to another episode. I know it's been a while. I was recovering from being sick and I just spent a week in London, so I didn't really have much time to record and edit an episode, but we're back and I'm really excited for this one because I have two guests with me, two of my best friends here talking about self-righteousness, what that looks like, how we can combat it and what our response should be when we recognize it in ourselves. I hope that they can speak to you and speak to your experience. Um, They're very wise, so I really appreciate them joining me here today. I do want to preface that the audio is a little bad. It's hard with one mic trying to pass it around three people. So if you hear a bunch of background commotion, I'm really sorry, but just bear with us. It doesn't take away from the wisdom and knowledge that these two have. So I'll let them introduce themselves. Here we go. What's up, guys? Um, my name's Matthew Hilliard. I'm um, Emily's probably just lifelong best friend um, and life coach, probably for the last 13, 14 months now. Just kind of been that that go-to person in her life. Anytime like she's just struggling with something or going through something or just needs some emotional support or some advice or just someone to kind of speak into her life. I've been lucky enough and privileged to kind of just be that person who she goes to and really rallies behind um but we also have good fun together we go go on some adventures we went christmas lights viewing and we left sticky notes on people's mailbox recently like back in december so we have good times together too but i'd say my primary role is definitely like more of a life coach just more of that more that emotional you know foundational block that she really kind of rallies her life behind. So that's me, and then I'll uh, let the other guest introduce herself. I'm Julia. I'm Emily's real best friend. Thank you guys. I appreciate that. Matthew, his um, explanation is actually correct. That's why I have him on this podcast to actually give me advice and tell me what I'm doing wrong and call me out on things. Anyway, so today we're talking about self righteousness, which is something I struggle with. Self righteousness and pride, they're kind of Um, related to each other so it's something that I struggle with a lot and I've been wanting to talk about this just speaking into my own life so thankfully I have these two people here who can address this issue that I'm sure most Christians struggle with so I'm going to be asking them questions and hearing what they have to say on the topic so my first question is how are pride and self-righteousness related Yeah, um, I think that, obviously, I think there's a lot of similarities between the two. When I think of being prideful, I think of not wanting to admit that what I do is wrong or admit that, like, anything that I do is wrong. And then when I think about self-righteousness, I mean, you just kind of think of it in the title, like, right righteousness. I think of more, not so much that nothing I do is wrong but just everything that I do is right so I think that they're you know obviously linked together I think there's a lot of similarities but to me I'd say that that's kind of the main difference is I think when I think of myself as being prideful I just I think of more like argumentative things and like not wanting to admit that I'm wrong and then self-righteousness I think is for me a little bit more internal and for it's a more of an internal struggle of thinking I do things the right way so that for me I think would be the biggest difference. I think they kind of go hand in hand and typically for me at least if I have one I have the other. I think that 
like Matthew was saying, pride is like me not being wrong or like I'm kind of proud of myself, like, you know, almost like full of myself in a way where self-righteousness is kind of like I think that my achievements are because of myself and that I've done all of the work or like, you know, all of the good things, like it's because of me, you know, if that makes any sense. But I think one typically leads to the other in a sense. Yeah, I agree with both of you. I was going to say that I think self-righteousness has more to do with like you are the person that is making yourself right in whatever circumstance it is with Christianity. It's like, okay, if I'm self-righteous in my head, it's me who's checking every box in order to be saved. And when I think of self-righteousness in myself, I think of it as like, like you were saying, Matt, like I am in the right and everyone else is in the wrong. So it's like, I elevate myself to this status of everything I'm doing that is wrong is because other people are making me do it. It's not me because in my head I am good and I am right. And then pride, I think, I don't know. Yeah, I think it's pretty similar. I feel like pride is more just like pride and like stubbornness, I think, are very related. So it's like if someone's prideful, usually they'll be just very like, my choices are better than yours and I'm not changing that yeah I agree with that and I I think I even see a lot of that like you know you're talking about my choices being better than your choices and I see a lot of that in myself I think as it relates to self-righteousness so like going back to me just like having a habit of thinking everything I do is right um I've told I've used this example a couple of times recently in my real life just because it's oddly enough come up but like washing dishes I recently we just got back from uh, spring break and I just went on a trip for a few days with some of our friends in Panama City Beach and we you know cooked most of our own meals and cleaned up most of our own meals and so I you know was was helping out with a lot of that kind of stuff the last few days and you know I was washing some dishes and one of our friends was telling me like oh you know you don't you've done a lot you don't always have to like do it we got it like do you want me to help out with anything um I was like oh no I got it and you know there we we kind of just started going back and forth just kind of talking about that um and my like stubbornness to want to do everything and while I would like to think and I do think that like some of it is because I do enjoy serving people and doing things for people I think there is also a large part of me and I told my friend this because I do have a like a very toxic habit or a very toxic way of thinking of not like not being able to watch somebody do something a way that I wouldn't do it even if it's like washing of dishes or like cooking scrambled eggs in the morning when in reality like both of those things like cooking scrambled eggs and washing a pan both of those things are very hard to mess up like ultimately like scrambled eggs are going to be scrambled eggs they're going to get cooked a pan is going to get clean and it's like not a big deal if someone does that a different way than I do but I think it's a very just a hard thing for me to do as it pertains to self-righteousness with just like sitting back and watching someone and being like "Mm, that's not the way I would do it and therefore like that's the wrong way and I think you see a lot of that in Christianity too of like well I know that Jesus paid for my sins or I know that Jesus like made this path for me to be redeemed back to him but like 
why can't I just do this? Or why can't I just pray for this or try to avoid this? Like, why can't I just do it my way? You know, cause I just feel like my way is best or I feel like my way is right. So yeah, I totally agree with you. Yeah, that was a good example with the dishes thing. I was going to ask what some ways are that self-righteousness manifests in your lives. And obviously washing dishes is there's a random car whipping up into our driveway. Oh, anyways. So yeah, I was going to ask the question, how does self-righteousness manifest in your lives other than washing dishes? Just what are some ways that you see it reflected in not so great ways? Yeah, so, I mean, obviously, like I said, um, I notice it in my stubbornness and, like, watching other people do things in ways that are different than, in a different way than I would, and so I definitely think that it, it manifests in that fashion for me in more ways than just washing dishes, but I also think that I have a habit, I think we as humans, but, you know, especially me, have a habit of trying to convince ourselves, like, we all like to convince ourselves that we're doing the best that we can or doing the most that we can me like me in particular i genuinely would you know i'd like to think that i genuinely am a very busy person my days are pretty packed with everything that i have going on with school and work and just all the commitments that i've made and so i think particularly in a season of life where like you're a full-time college student um in my case i think it's everyone wants to think that they're just they're doing not only the best they can, but they're doing everything the best way that they can. And I, you know, I think that that's obviously very prideful and a very self-righteous way of thinking. Um, and I think it's something that I personally fall into a lot. I think for me, kind of like what Matthew is saying, I'm, I try to control my life as much as I can over the big things and the little things. And so I think when my life gets super busy and I get stressed and overwhelmed, I kind of look for other people to validate my complaints. And, you know, rather than giving me solutions, I don't want those solutions to work. I want people to almost validate that I'm right in being stressed. And, you know, yes, it people will get stressed and that's fine. But I think I will subconsciously kind of ask for advice hoping for them to not give me advice and be like no you're right kind of thing because I want the world to change for me to kind of fix my problems for me because I want to be doing as much as I can be if that makes sense yeah no I agree with you I think that makes a lot of sense and just yeah I agree I think people enjoy it's you know it's hard to admit and it almost really doesn't even make logical sense but I think people enjoy being looked at and you know being viewed in a perspective of like oh man like yeah Emily has you know so much going on and she juggles so much and you know it's it almost makes you feel good it makes you feel capable and good like when people look at you and you know just you know, talk about all the stuff you have going on and just it makes you feel better that, you know, maybe all you're doing is keeping your head above water, but it makes you feel good when people are like looking at you and recognizing all these different things that you have going on and like kind of seeing you struggle. It kind of makes you feel good, I think, about just keeping your head above water when in reality, maybe you're capable of just keeping your head above water, but maybe you're also capable of doing a little doggy paddle too. Like, you know, I think that we're all a little bit probably more capable 
of doing and accomplishing things in a 24-hour day than most of us would care to realize or understand or even admit. And I think it, you know, like you said, it makes us feel good when people see us struggle because then it, it validates that struggle for one, but two, it makes us feel like, okay, well, if people are recognizing that I'm doing the best I can or seemingly all I can, like, why would I try to improve anything about what I have going on? Why would I try and make it more efficient? Why would I try and not struggle as much by being a little bit more disciplined and things like that? So I think that's a good point. I agree with both of you. I feel like self-righteousness is kind of the root of all of our issues because we grow up being told, I mean, this is kind of a tangent, but we grow up being told by our parents that you can do it, you great, gold star, whatever. I mean, not everyone, but for the most part, you grow up in schools and everybody's pushing you to be the best and telling you that you're this great person, whatever. And so you grow up in this culture of like, you do you, everything about you is good enough. You know, don't change for anyone else, whatever. And that's a very secular mindset. And so we all grow up thinking that I'm good inherently and we're not. And at least for me, I struggle with the idea of I'm already a good person, especially as a Christian. I'm like, I know who Jesus is. Like, I have great morals. I have good Christian ethics. Like, I don't need to do anything more. But there's always something that I'm going to struggle with. There's always something that we're going to need to change. And with what Julia was saying, it's like, I sometimes it's just so much effort to change. It's so much effort and work to have somebody come to me and be like, dude, you're wrong in that. You should fix it. And one, it hurts my pride. And I'm like, this person thinks I'm a terrible person. I'm going to have to like go apologize and blah, blah, blah and whatever. And that's just me being prideful. But then it's also like, great. Now I have to go figure out what the root of that is and change it. And it's like, how do you change something that is so natural? How do I change this sinful desire that's rooted so deeply in me? And it feels impossible. But that's also coming from a mindset of you're not trusting in the Lord. You're not believing that God can awaken the spirit in you and switch that desire. So I don't know. I just think it's definitely a deeply rooted thing that a lot of people struggle with. But I think we're all working on it and we all recognize it. So how would you guys say that you should react? Like when you recognize it, if you do, how would you... Bro, there's another car. What is this? (laughs) Okay, so the question that I was asking was, when you recognize that you are being self-righteous or prideful, how do you normally respond? Like what is your initial reaction to the moment where you're like, oh shoot, I am not acting in a way that I should be. Well, my initial response, sinfully, is to get frustrated and annoyed. But after that, my go-to is prayer. And I mean, I think going to the Word is also helpful, but I think taking it to the Lord and giving it to Him and confessing that to Him is the first step to fix it. Because I can acknowledge it in myself and confess it to myself a million times over and not do anything to change it. But I think the minute I take it to the Lord is the minute that I start fixing it or attempting to fix it. So I'd say prayer initially. And then honestly, just spending extra time with the Lord, whether that be in more prayer or in the word or 
even worship, just kind of recentering my life and focusing on finding my righteousness in Christ rather than myself is what I try to do. I agree with you, and I think that I think my thought process and my my initial instincts are very similar. I think initially, um, kind of when I catch myself, you know, in some self righteousness or some pride. I think my my very initial reaction or instinct is to kind of what I talked about a little bit earlier is go back and try and convince myself that I'm actually not being prideful or not being self-righteousness. So I try essentially I try and fix my pride with being prideful. Um, you know, I try and convince myself that or I try and remind myself like, man, you've got so much going on you're under a lot of stress you're in a season of life with so much expectation on you and so much uncertainty and you have so much to juggle and you know there's just the the list of excuses goes on and on and on and on of all these things that you know I've got going on but so does everybody else between the ages of 20 and 25 right now you know it's not it's not anything special it's not anything unique you know everyone deals with hardships and struggles and uncertainty and um so i have to i have to remind myself that yeah my life my life is hard but it's not i'm not unique in the the fact that my life is hard i have to remind myself that life is just hard like that's just that's just a foundational truth in scripture like you know jesus tells us like you should expect hardships. Like if they hated me, why would they not hate you, you know, for my namesake? And just, you know, the list goes on and on and on. So just reminding myself that like, yeah, it's, you know, you have a hard life, but so does everybody else. And then also similar to what Julie was talking about, trying to, and this one's, this one's a hard one for me too, um, just in general, but, you know, going to the Lord in prayer, I think prayer is probably my, the spiritual discipline that I struggle with the most because I, I love to learn. Like, I've always loved to learn. Um, as long as it doesn't have an academic due date, I love to learn if it's on my terms. Um, and so, like, going to Scripture and reading books about Scripture and theology and, like, all these things, like, I, I see a lot of, I have interest in that, and, I like, I see a lot of value in that because it's it seems a little bit more obvious to me. Um, so I don't struggle as much with those kinds of things. But, like, with prayer, you know, it's I think that our society or just you know we as people i think have made this connotation or this relationship with prayer of like oh you're struggling like let me pray for you or oh you're going through something or you're having surgery or you're sick or whatever like i'll pray for you we've developed this relationship with prayer where it's you know something we go to in a time of struggle and i think it's it's definitely hard for me to just practice it in the mundane and kind of go to especially with pride and self-righteousness because like I said I'm, I'm someone who tries to convince myself that I can make my way my own way to do things I can make my own way out of struggle but sometimes like the answer is just like do nothing you know someone else has already made a way to for you and you just kind of have to accept that and I think that that's something that I see a lot in our culture um i think it has kind of shifted to a point where even like atheists and people who wouldn't identify as christian i think 
I think it would almost be universally agreed upon now by everyone that we live in a broken world. Like, I don't, I don't think you're going to meet many people these days who wouldn't agree with you that we live in a broken world because it's just something that everyone deals with. I think our culture has shifted from um, a point where, because we used to, I think, struggle as a, as a society to admit just that, that we just live in a inherently broken world. Now I think it's so obvious and evident that we do. I think now the problem is, is people are self-righteous and prideful and they hate that they cannot get themselves out of that they see brokenness and especially i mean i'm sure women too but like men are hardwired to find a solution like if you come to us and say hey i'm dealing with this like immediately we're we are thinking of six ways of a way to fix it and so likewise you know, in our world, it, it, it bothers us so much that we can't fix our brokenness, that we can't fix the broken world. And, you know, that's when people will, you know, turn to secular things like, you know, in some cases, it's obviously bad things like drugs or sex or lust or, you know, things like that um, as distractions. And other times it's seemingly good things like academia and, um, worldly success and occupational success and things like that. We think like if we just obtain this level of success, like we'll, we'll fix our brokenness and we'll be put back together. When in reality, you know, like I said, like we have to remember that the world we live in is, is not our own. It's inherently broken and it's our fault and there's nothing that we can do to fix it. But we have a God and a creator who's already fixed that. He's already made a way. And you know, our, our only job now is to find rest in that, find peace in that, but not only rest and find peace in that, but also live in that. So not, not only going to the cross and resting at his feet and the work that he did on the cross, but also being able to live through that and being able to go back in, into that broken world and bringing other people back with you to the cross and then going back and getting others and taking them to the cross and coming, you know, it's, it's a continuous cycle. So all of that to say, I don't even remember what the question was, but all of that to say is, you know, I think that our culture shifting. Um, I think everyone, including myself, um, agrees that we're broken. The world is broken, but you know, in our pride and in, in our self-righteous, we want to be able to fix it. We want to be able to convince ourselves that, we're doing the most, we're doing the best we can, when in reality, we just need to trust in the perfect plan of redemption that has already been fixed and laid out for us. With that, obviously the opposite of self-righteousness and pride is humility. And so in trusting that we do have a savior who's already made us right with God, we should be humble, you know, we should humble ourselves. So how would you balance yourself between this pride and self-righteousness and then humility? Because my immediate reaction when I'm self-righteous is, oh shoot, I'm, I'm being prideful. Like, let me step back and humble myself and remember I am a sinner. I can't save myself. And so sometimes I'll kind of start self-deprecating or forgetting that there is forgiveness and there is grace. And then I'll reach this point where it's like, I'm unsavable and it's kind of just like okay well what's the balance between being prideful and trying to fix it yourself 
versus you realizing that there is no you saving yourself and you just need to trust in the Lord. I definitely fall into that trap too sometimes. And I think for me, the answer is being able to remind myself the difference, the very important difference in being prideful and taking pride in something. So obviously like being prideful, you know, we've talked about it the whole time. It's, you know, I can't do anything wrong or everything I do is right and all these different things. Or, you know, I want to create my own way out of this problem or, you know, whatever whatever you're dealing with, you want to fix it your own. You don't want to go to anyone for help. You don't want to trust in the Lord for help. All these things, right? Um, but on the flip side, you know, taking pride in something, you know, we, as you know, as Christians, although we are completely dependent on the Lord, He also does, in His grace and mercy, like, give us the ability to, He gives us gifts that we can use, um, He gives us, you know, a certain amount or a certain extent of free will and our actions and where we go and what we say and all these things, and He calls us to use those gifts for His glory, but He also calls us to use them well. You know, we are called um, as Christians to live at a high standard and do everything that we do for the glory of of the one true God uh, who is an awesome God who created an awesome universe that's full of wonder. And if we are to bear that same image, then why wouldn't we take pride in everything that we create and all the choices that we create for ourselves and all the things that we create in our life? Why wouldn't we take pride in that if our creator took pride in creating us and creating our universe? The, dis- the distinguishing factor there is with taking pride. I think that there is that humility aspect and that recognition aspect of the only reason that I have the ability to do this and take pride is because someone's allowing me to do it and because someone made a way for me to do it so just it's kind of just adding that that variable in between of humility and and humbleness and recognizing that you're not doing it on your own power you're doing it because someone else is allowing you to and enabling you to do so that's a really good point matt about taking pride in things versus being prideful For me, it's really hard to take pride in things because I struggle to see the humility in that and why it's so important to be humble in that. When I think about taking pride in things, I think about Genesis 3 when we're called to work and our work should be done well. Our work should be done with the full intent to glorify the Lord. So when we are completing tasks or meeting goals or living in our roles that the Lord has placed us in well, we shouldn't have this sense of, oh, I'm a great sister. I'm a great student. I'm such a good employee. We shouldn't boast in these things because we are not capable of doing these things well without the Spirit. So, and Doing these things well is defined by glorifying the Lord in them, not by the level or status that you have in whatever roles these are. I think looking at the difference between pride and taking pride in things, again, is humility like you were saying. We should be humble in the sense that the Lord is sovereign and the Lord 
is the one using us in his plan and in this world and in the places that he has us. So we should open ourselves up to be used by him and humble ourselves in a sense of, I am a servant of the Lord in this position. So I'm going to let him use me however he wants me to. And whatever whatever status we reach or whatever level of success we reach is completely a blessing from the Lord. So I, I really like how you put that. And I think it's something that we should all remember and we should all try to remind ourselves that it's okay to have goals. It's okay to work and put work as a priority because how can we reflect Christ if we're not working well or if we're not being a good student or family member or whatever it is, you know, and as long as we know that it's the Lord working through us in those things, it's not bad to take pride in them in a humble sense, like you were saying. What about you, Jules? What do you think? I think um, that balance kind of goes back to what your intentions are as you're doing whatever it is we're referring to. Like, are you doing it to satisfy yourself and to fulfill something that you feel that you're missing or are you doing it to serve those around you and glorify the Lord like an example for me that I have to self-reflect on sometimes is serving in kids on Sunday like am I doing it to serve the local church and serve the families and the kids and the Lord of course or am I doing it to be able to say that I do it to be able to say that I'm serving to be able to say that like you know I am good where is your heart as you're doing those things and I think reflecting on whatever you might be considering to be self-righteous or not is genuinely just am I serving the Lord or am I serving myself in this I think that's something I struggle with a lot is intentions of why I'm doing what I'm doing um and a lot of why I do things is just to either make myself feel better or make people view me in a higher, to a higher standard. And so I have to check myself with that a lot. So there's the difference between humility and there's the difference between pride but and that, that balance. But what does humility really look like in contrast to being prideful? What I'm trying to say is how do you practice good humility? I think... Humility looks like, I mean, when we're talking inwardly, is finding rest in the Lord and, you know, having your life centered on the Lord, who he is, what he's done, and what that, who that makes you. So I struggle a lot with resting in the Lord because I do think that I can do things myself and it'll be good enough when that is not true. Um, So I think humility is, it starts with finding rest in the Lord and then leads into being as selfless as possible. So like resting in the Lord, you, like I was saying before, you remind yourself of who God is, what he's done and who that makes you. So who that makes you, you find contentment in your identity in Christ, which allows you to then serve those, serve the people around you selflessly and put those before you without it being like a self-deprecating thing which is what we were talking about before so I think once you're able to serve and not even just who you want to serve but like everyone you know even the ones that you don't want to serve and I think that also leads to loving and being kind and 
gracious towards the people that you don't want to be loving and kind and gracious towards. No one is perfect at that and no one will be perfect at that, but I think that serving and loving and caring for those around you selflessly without it being like an obligation, but like you have a desire to love and serve those because Christ loved us and served us. Like you said, inwardly, I think the, f- the first step is to humble yourself at the cross and find humility there and being able to rest in the work that Jesus did on the cross for us, the perfect work that he did on the cross for us, and being able to find rest there and be humbled there and reminding yourself that someone has already made a way for you, has already done what you couldn't. Um, so finding humility there. And then practically, um, I think once you once you rest, find rest and find humility um, in that work, I think what you know, going back to what I was saying earlier, I think practically then it's living through that work. It's saying, okay, because of um, you know the, the work and the grace and the mercy and the love I've received through this work on the cross, now I'm going to live through it by doing what you've asked of me. So that's living in community, you know, keeping each other accountable, doing all these things. So, you know, Julia talked about serving others and I completely agree with that. But I think also, I think another important thing that we're kind of called to do with living in community is also kind of just learning how to be served by others. Like learning, like you can't do it all on your own. Like you need others around you. You need people who are older than you and wiser than you who have gone through things that you've gone through, who've struggled through things that you've struggled through. I apologize. I don't know exactly where it is, but there's a verse that I like a lot that I have to remind myself of that says that there's no struggle that that you will ever deal with that is not common to man. And so just being able to remind yourself of that, being able to humble yourself and letting yourself be served by letting other people invest in you and speak into you and give you advice and help you navigate those struggles. I think that really applies to me a lot because I'm somebody who is self-righteous in the sense of if there's anything going wrong in my life, I can fix it myself, whether that is me taking it to the Lord and fixing it, not necessarily fixing it, but realigning my heart. But I just... I just honestly suffer alone. Like if I'm going through something, I refuse to go to other people like mentors and stuff until I've resolved the issue with me and the Lord, which is great. And that should be my first response, but you'll never catch me going to my mentor group saying, Hey guys, I'm struggling with this sin currently. And I know that, and I can't get out of it. Help me please. And that's my own self-righteousness in the sense of I don't want to go to this person and tell them something and then them think less of me. When it's like, if I if I have a friend come to me and say, dude, I'm struggling with this. Can you pray for me? Can you walk with me through this? Never once in my life am I like, you suck. Like, you're a terrible Christian. Do better. I'm always like, yes, I'll be praying for you. How can I help you? How can I check up on you? And we'll talk and chat for hours and hours processing and thinking through things. And it's like, I enjoy doing that for my friends my friends would enjoy doing that for me and would probably be more than willing to do that for me. So it's, it's kind of, that's something that I'm really bad about and I need to do better. Kind of on the same vein, a little different, a little different track. How in this self-righteous sense of thinking, you know, that everything that we do makes us good, how do we reconcile that with faith and works? How can we 
fulfill the disciplines and acts that we're called to as Christians without slipping into that idea of let me check all these boxes and then I'll be good or is there a way that you can reconcile it and if not walk us through how you struggle through it well I don't think there is a straightforward answer and solution just because we are sinful and that is just a cycle that we will suffer through that's one thing to remember but I think just being consistent in your spiritual disciplines and you know staying in the word consistently and prayer and I think dealing with and confronting your self-righteousness as often as possible even when you don't think you're really falling into it helps a lot just because if I'm in prayer and asking to not be self-righteous or confronting my self-righteousness in prayer even when I'm not at like the lowest point it's going to help me a lot more than if I don't acknowledge it for a month and a half and then all of a sudden I'm hit like it's like I'm hit with a truck that I'm like oh my goodness I've been self-righteous for a month and a half now so I think just being consistent in the spiritual disciplines and just remaining fixed on the Lord helps helps it doesn't solve I think being in community and kind of holding one another accountable also helps where it's like hey now relax you're getting a little ahead of yourself which I don't think we do enough but when we do it's very helpful so yeah I agree with with what you're saying Julia what I think what I what comes to mind for me is um a specific chapter in the book written by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. It's called A Cost of Discipleship. In it, he kind of speaks about this idea of faith and works and how they're correlated because they are directly correlated. And so, you know, you hear you hear a lot in, you know, Christian circles, you know, faith without works is dead, which is, you know, 100% true. But on the flip side, it's also very, very true that work without faith is also dead and also pointless so you know if if we as christians you know believe in a holy god holy meaning good and set apart from sin and that he also calls us to also uphold that holy standard through our faith in him even though we couldn't and someone else had to pay the penalty for that on the cross through that work we are also called to carry out our faith show our faith through sanctification and and growing in holiness and pursuing holiness what i think about is when jesus beckons peter to walk on water in the storm if peter merely stays on the boat and says like yeah lord like yeah i have faith in you like i know that if i were to step out onto the water i wouldn't drown you know i believe that i would be able to sing and dance and walk and run do whatever i want on the water and you wouldn't let me drown so there's like there's no need for me to actually do what you're telling me to do because i i believe you i have total faith if you don't follow up that faith with what you're commanded to do with that work then your faith is dead like it's not real faith and then likewise like you see you know a lot of people kind of get caught in the opposite trap of like i know we're called to give 10 percent of our belongings but you know i'm gonna give 50 or you know i'm gonna sell everything i own or i'm gonna donate to all these charities or i'm gonna just do all these good things all these good works that you're not commanded to do you know it doesn't mean that they're bad things but if you're doing those works to build yourself up and to build to your own pride and make yourself feel good and make yourself feel self-righteous and all these things like if that's your source 
for doing these works, then you also don't have a faith in Christ that points back to Christ. So that's kind of how I justify it is you have to follow up your faith in Christ with works because faith without works is dead, but also works without that faith that points back to Christ as your source for your works is also dead and also pointless. So that to me is what I think about um, when I think about like trying to justify and balance those two. Thank you guys for what you said. Jules, I loved what you were saying about serving others rather than yourself because Christ has already served us on the cross. We now need to serve others in the same sacrificial way. And Matt, I agree that our works should stem from our faith. Otherwise, it is a self-righteous, prideful act. And when works then become the means by which we think we're saved or made good, it's clear that there really is no faith because we're not putting our faith in the work that Christ has already done for us on the cross. We're putting it in what we're doing. And then again, it becomes this self-righteous, I can make myself good. And I like what you were saying about how our faith also needs to be proven by works because if we're not really willing to sacrifice our actions and our life, then we really don't believe what we say we do because we're not willing to act on that. So talking about faith and works, I'm wondering, how do you guys come to terms with the fact that we will always be sinful even in the works we do that do reflect Christ? The reason I'm asking is because I'm a perfectionist and Christ didn't come down to earth and die on the cross to make me perfect. He came down to take my place. And so when he resurrected, he gave me power over sin and death, but he didn't make me perfect. I'm still a sinner, so I can obey God's commands and choose righteousness, but I will still do that from a sinful state. And so it's hard for me to continue to obey Christ and yet still see myself falling into temptation and being a sinner. So I'm just wondering how you guys can still find hope in that or how you guys can come to terms with that reality. I see what you're saying. And I honestly, I've never really thought about it that way. Um, But I think it's honestly kind of freeing just because you were just saying like he came and didn't make us perfect, but he died for us anyways. He took our place. He didn't fix us. And I think that makes it even more special just because if he wanted to fix us, he could have. But he loved us anyways enough to come and take our place. In the one of the sessions in London, the speaker said that it wasn't a surprise. Like nothing about God's plan was changed when we sinned. He saw it coming. It wasn't a shock. And so I think I'm just comforted with the fact that this isn't the end for us and that this that our hope is not found here because honestly I would be screwed you know we all would be and so I just think it's relieving knowing that like what I do here yes it matters in terms of his kingdom and like missionally it matters and reflecting him but like my success in school does not matter my success in the workplace does not matter like my hope is not found here and it's comforting to know that whether I am super successful in my job or can't keep a job for more than six months that I am loved by the king of kings and ultimately I will end up with him and that's where my hope lies and like yes he has a plan for us while we're here and he has goals for us and a mission for us to be on and I think just being as obedient as possible 
is all he wants from us. That's all he expects. He doesn't expect perfection. And so I don't think it's fair that we expect it from ourselves, if that makes sense. And so I think just going back to the cross and retelling myself the gospel, like going back to what saved me to begin with, like that was most likely my worst place and he still loved me. And so pursuing him constantly and as well as I can is all he wants and all he asks and so that's all I can ask from myself. I agree I think very similarly to you um, I think that understanding this is something that I've kind of been reading more about and looking more into um, recently is the difference between God's revealed will and God's secret will so I agree with you when you say that God's plan for us was never perfection God's plan for us was always redemption. So of course he knew that man was going to fall and that he was going to redeem us back to him. So that, you know, obviously though, we didn't know. So that's part of his, you know, that's part of his secret will because obviously when Adam and Eve were created, they were told to be fruitful and multiply. So they were told to be fruitful and follow his commandments. You know, they obviously weren't told to rebel and disobey. Um, nor did they know that they, at the time, that they would rebel and disobey. It was only afterwards that they could look back and say, okay, that was part of God's secret will. God's revealed will, however, is revealed to us through his word, through scripture. And that, that will is our sanctification, is our redemption. So his revealed will is he's, he's made a way back to us to be redeemed back to him. We are to trust into that plan, and then we are to follow the implications of that plan meaning we are to follow his word, keep his commandments, and tell others about his love, tell other people about his redemptive and loving plan for us. And then I I also find comfort in understanding that while we are all completely corrupt and inherent, we are inherently sinful, we are inherently broken, the world we live in is inherently broken, I think there is comfort in being able to look at scripture and being able to see that there while we are broken and sinful there are things that we can do as people pursuing holiness and sanctification there are steps that we can take to bring glory and to please god like there are things that we do that please god i mean we see that in john right after jesus was baptized you know jesus even though he was perfect and not sinful at all and therefore he does he doesn't need to be born again because he's not sinful he takes the steps and follows his father's commands and is baptized and as soon as that happens you know the dove comes comes down and the lord speaks and says this is my son with whom i am well pleased and at the time jesus is fully human fully god but also fully human just like we are dealing with all the same temptations all the same struggles but yet remaining perfect and doing what the lord has called him to do and being baptized and so here we see jesus who's fully human who followed what god was telling him to do as a human and going and being baptized and immediately we hear god say i am well pleased with you so i think there's also a lot of comfort in being able to realize that while we are corrupt and sinful there are things that we can do as people pursuing holiness and pursuing sanctification that do please God, that do bring him joy and happiness and pleasure and do please him. Um, so I think there is 
um, a lot of comfort and a lot of motivation and understanding that because to me it kind of in a sense keeps me motivated to want to please my creator to want to please my god by keeping his commandments and trying to pursue holiness and all those things not so that i can tell everyone like how great i am and how holy i am but because it pleases him and because he tells me to thank you guys i yeah that really helped me process that a lot and as you guys were talking i was thinking about how even you know while we're still living this life as christians now under the banner of christ it is the holy spirit working in us and i think it just like you were saying jules like it just gives me even more awe and wonder for who god is and the fact that he can that he gives us his spirit and it is fully his power that i do anything remotely glorifying to him i don't know i think it's i mean we're not his puppets but it's almost like he's like yeah i'm gonna make you i'm gonna give you my spirit i'm gonna give you a helper and it's like now you can go and yeah you'll struggle but i'm i'm stronger than that struggle and in the end i will fully bring you into my kingdom you know and so yeah i think that is comforting and i had never even thought about the whole jesus baptism thing like that before and that's actually really cool and i like that a lot and to know like what you were saying like even as a sinful person with you know the power of the spirit he does still find pleasure in us and in things we do which is really cool anyways thank you guys for this very long conversation i really enjoyed hearing your thoughts and i hope we can do it again i hope everybody listening enjoyed it if you didn't i'm so sorry i know matthew's voice is really annoying (laughs) just kidding he's a very wise person and i'm thankful that he was on here jules and i are going to come back with a whole london spiel that'll probably be two hours long so (laughs) prepare for that and yeah i hope you guys have a great week and i just really appreciate the love and support of all of you. Bye!